you just joined, we are going to be kind of cross. We are live streaming this on YouTube at the moment. So um, for those of you who are with us now, if Discord is too inconvenient and you would like to jump into YouTube, you can do that. Uh, we will be reading comments live from there. Um, if you have questions here in Discord, obviously your voice, as always, will be on the uh, the live stream as well as the video that we archive afterwards. Um, uh, we're going to be doing a video, so if you can see me, great. If you can see Dan and Dave as well, great. Um, we just wanted to bring a little bit of a more personal touch um, to the meetings and uh, you know, obviously get it out uh, a little bit further if we possibly can. Touch. So, um, and you know, who knows, we might be expanding this uh, going uh, forward. So uh, let's see. Um, I did want to touch on this. Elias, did anyone attend the drone responders meeting today? I did not. Uh, Dave, I know is pretty engaged with that. I don't know if you got an opportunity, Dave. I did not. I, was, okay. uh, I saw it. I was uh, had some other things cooking today. Gotcha. All right. So, um, did you happen to attend, Elias? Yeah, I I thought it was a really good session today. Uh, two FAA members. I don't remember their names exactly, but uh, uh, they were really uh, engaged in. I mean, they were talking about waivers and tactical waivers and public operators um, gotcha. and then it was like a free-for-all kind of you can ask any kind of question you wanted they must hold a i mean they must have been they must have been on the in, in the you know in the beginnings of part 107 and just uas in general because those guys were answering every question in, in the book between part 107 and non-part 107 questions and and public operator and civil operator questions and um and they were just uh yeah they probably answered over 100 questions that people had wow yeah it was nuts do you know if they um archived that so that it can be watched later or Possibly they did i don't know where okay. but uh yeah maybe cool. they have a website i don't know yeah absolutely we'll check that out um and if you come across it let us know so that we can give it a look because i'm sure there's some good information in there yeah we'll do uh Thank you. Um, so I do have uh, a couple of things. Obviously, um, we're kind of in a, a mid period right now. Uh, we're still waiting on some more uh, rulemaking to come out in regards to the educational exam and CBOs. Um, obviously, we're in the lull between that and uh, remote ID. Um, I don't think anybody is still reeling over remote ID. Um, we did, uh, I don't know if we had an opportunity cause I know we, it's weird timing with meetings, but, um, Dave, I know you did have a conversation, uh, with some folks at the FAA, if you want to recap that real quick. Okay. Um, it was, uh, with, uh, several of the executives and, um, of the UAS uh, integration office. And uh, we went over a couple of topics, um, 89115A and B. Um, and that's, that was significant to us because uh, in the final rule, it stated uh, that you had to be manipulating the sticks and be in the operator manipulating the controls 
supposed to be able to see the drone. And so we were wondering, a little paranoid, but uh, we thought it was important to ask uh, because the wording was different from 88409, uh, recreational exception, as well as part 107, where it says, or a visual observer must uh, keep the drone in visual line of sight. And uh, we were uh, assured that uh, this was not, there was no effort to, uh, uh, to exclude FPV. Uh, the FAA ex expressed that they were very interested as evidenced by their uh, extensive comments and uh, responses and changes in the final rule. And um, uh, one of the guys uh, on our side of the call uh, volunteered to follow up and ask the FAA for an advisory circular on that. Uh, we also had some uh, discussion on 89501, uh, and that has to do more with uh, commercial. And then, uh, so a good discussion overall. We also uh, brought up the point about uh, that there is now no recreational uh, representation on the drone advisory committee. And uh, I was advised to uh, uh, keep my application uh, active. And uh, the hope is that uh, there will uh, be openings uh, uh, popping up through the year outside of uh, a, a normal uh, two-year cycle, which is the, the term of, uh, of DAC members. So a, a good call, some follow-up, uh, but uh, very much uh, what we uh, we had hoped, and that is that the, uh, the integration office is uh, supportive of recreational and supportive of FPV. Excellent. So um, on a secondary topic related kind of to uh, regulation, we did have, um, hopefully you all saw the post that I put up on Facebook and here in Discord um, regarding uh, Senator Mike Lee's bill, uh, which was essentially federal. He was trying to introduce through a, uh, like a budgetary uh, backdoor uh, legislation that would allow for essentially federalism um, of the first 200 feet or so of uh, airspace. Um, and basically what that means is that states and, and local uh, areas would be able to determine how the first 200 feet uh, of airspace would be utilized for UAVs. And, you know, initially this, this was something that came out last year uh, something that he was attempting to push through legislation and uh, it kind of fell flat on its face. Um, but uh, essentially, some people would think that, okay, so localities and states and counties and cities and, and whatnot being able to determine what the regulations would be for the first 200 feet might be a good thing. Um, but what you need to understand is that... Um, everybody kind of needs to understand is that it kind of falls into a um, a patchwork idea. So essentially anything that the FAA says in regards to uh, what needs to be done to fly would still stand in those areas. Anything that the localities would do would be above and beyond that. So a situation that might be a little closer to home is, is that like a, uh, the a state government might require a company to uh, do X and X, right? And then the company, you know, determines, well, that's not quite enough. So they're going to do X and X plus Y um, in order to maintain a certain standard. Um, so essentially, 
you'd be dealing with a, a patchwork of ideas. Um, it could be, you know, taxation, basically pay to fly uh, is a big concern. So you'd have to get a permit from the city in order to fly. And then you'd have to get a permit from the county as well. And then you might even have to get a permit from the state on top of all of that. Uh, so how much money are you putting out of pocket to actually just go flying for fun? Um, and then, you know, there's other issues too as to what you could possibly do. They could shut down airspace above and beyond what the FAA is, has done or, you know, their, you know, determinations. FAA hasn't really shut down airspace, but, um, you know, they could, they could basically bar you from certain airspaces, uh, which at, you know, at this point is that that's kind of the realm of the FAA alone. So, um, and then imagine you're a business person who perhaps travels as a, a UAV operator. Um, and you'd have to have this Bible of sorts of all the regulations across all the different places that you're doing work um, and make sure that you're actually following all those regulations and that you've got all your fees in place and you've paid all your, you know, your taxes and, and whatnot. And it's just a nightmare that would have been possible through all of that. Excuse me. So, um, as far as I know, um, that, uh, actual legislation didn't get brought up during the budgetary meeting. Yeah, this was an amendment to the, uh, um, to the continuing resolution, which was, uh, uh passed, which included the, uh, $1.9 trillion stimulus bill. So Senator Lee of, uh, Utah was, uh, trying to append um, uh, effectively an earmark to uh, a piece of critical legislation. Um, uh, Senator Lee has also brought this topic up uh, two or three times before. The most previous, most recent bill was uh, Senate 2502, which he brought up in uh, 2019. Uh, that had no other co-sponsorship and held at about a 3% uh, uh, probability of passage. It did not go anywhere. It did not make it out of committee. Um, and then uh, Senator Lee uh, also uh, brought this topic up uh, to then uh, Department of Transportation Secretary-designate Buttigieg, now Secretary Buttigieg, uh, during his confirmation hearings. So I think we can uh, expect to hear more from Senator Lee. Um, and it's, uh, it's, he's, it's not been uh, positive for us. So. Uh, my thanks to uh, to Josh for jumping on that, getting uh, people to uh, uh, to respond quickly. We did not have a lot of time. Uh, this is a, a good example of uh, the network we are building within FPV Freedom Coalition. We heard about this uh, from people who are close uh, uh, to uh, Congress and watching the uh, the CR. We heard uh, we heard about it, and both the uh, uh, the DSP Alliance, uh, Drone Service Provider Alliance with uh, Kenji Sukahara and Vic Moss uh, uh, alerted us as well as a couple others. And so we were able to, thanks to Josh, get that out uh, and uh, alert people to that, to that happening. So we, we are a 501c3, so uh, we're not supposed to do a lot of lobbying, but uh, getting the word out is uh, certainly within our purview. So my thanks to anyone who reached out to their senators for this. Absolutely. And Vic was awesome. Uh, him and uh, the team over at the DSPA, they created an article very quickly 
regarding uh, the situation. Um, he did post in the FPVFC before I did, so thank you to him. I kind of stole that post and uh, utilized it uh, just because I feel like I don't know what Vic's network is specifically amongst the FPV uh, groups on Facebook, so I was able to share it out. Uh, my goal was to share it out a little further, I think. So um, I, I wasn't trying to subvert him. I just wanted to get it out to our network a little quicker um, so that people could respond. So um, complimentary relationship. Yeah. Um, as well as um, uh, that link uh, in that post. And let me see if amongst all my other links, uh, probably by the end, I will post a link to your senators. It's good to have that link on par uh, or available. I'm sorry. Um, in case something like this comes up, um, I was able to quickly reach out to both the senators in my state and, you know, within 10 minutes hit both of them up. And literally I just took what I wrote and put my information in copied and pasted it to both of them. Um, and, uh, kind of went from there. So, uh, very simple. And a lot of times they'll just send you a confirmation saying they got it. Um, my fear was, is that, you know, within the same day, they wouldn't get the information. Um, but again, you know, I don't know how their aides and whatnot relay that kind of information to them on a, on a quick time basis. So, um, but uh, if you did submit something, thank you. Uh, I do appreciate it. So, all right. Um, any questions regarding that bill or anything that we can kind of clarify on it? All right. Well, then I'll go ahead and move on. Just glad um, nothing happened with it so far. Yeah, true story. Um, and it's something we've been watching for a long time. Um, he, uh, Senator Mike Lee, kind of makes his, uh, I, I think I posted this in the chat, but he makes his, his druthers with... Uh, um, federalism type bills. And, and while, you know, generally there's, you know, federalism is, you know, I feel is somewhat of a good thing. You know, there's other areas where it's just like, mm, probably not the best solution for this. So um, the tough thing rate. is when they, they are able to just sneak those things into a bill at the last minute and attach them to something else that makes it really hard for us to uh, pay attention to. Uh, go drone. Is Vic Moss a part of this team? Uh, no, uh, not specifically, but he's definitely a partner that we work with. Um, and, uh, definitely somebody amongst our network of people that we, um, uh, provide information back and forth. So, and, and also, uh, Vic Moss and Kenji Sukahara have started a uh, 501c6. That, that's the, uh, the DSPA or the, uh, drone service provider alliance and that's for uh, commercial drone operators there you go you yep. found it and i'm on the advisory this is dave i'm on the advisory board of that uh, organization and vic did join us for one of our meetings a couple of times ago and yep. expressed his um he, he's hoping to make more of these meetings as he can yeah and, and he joined as a member of fpvfc so thanks yes. uh, thank you vic for that uh, the uh, it's a good question. So the you know what's the Venn diagram? What's the relationship? So uh, officially, you know, I'm on the advisory board of the DSPA, uh, and um, Kenji Sugahara is also on. Uh, uh, they are both uh, both Kenji Sugahara and Vic Moss are uh, DAC members. Um, 
Kenji has been active in uh, the ARC uh, as well as early um, uh, work uh, prepar uh, preparation preparatory to the DAC. He's a, uh, now as a DAC member, he's also uh, working on the latest tasking group and he has also been very active in ASTM, uh, the F38 committee uh, responsible for uh, the remote ID uh, standard. And so I've also uh, signed up uh, to work on uh, that, or joined ASTM as well and signed up to the F38 committee as well. So a number of uh, overlaps and the, we feel it is complementary in the best way from the view that uh, there we certainly want to encourage uh, young recreational people to consider aviation as a career and uh, maybe it's gonna maybe it would include drones uh, or maybe it'll just be something technical and that would be outstanding and uh, for someone a, a little more uh, relevant uh, and closer to that age bracket uh, we have Alex uh, with us <laughs> are you saying I'm getting old Dave is that what you're saying <laughs> thanks Alex thanks <laughs> you know just here to help right now Mentally, I'm not, but you know, geez. All how right. Old, well, natural page. How old would you be if you didn't know how old you are? Uh, 16 with the body of a 60 year old. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, all right. So, I'm going to get to some of the news. Uh, if you're new, uh, we like to go over some uh, drones in the news kind of issues and stories and, and whatnot. Um, it's definitely something that uh, helps, you know, build a, a solid base for, you know, the, the good that drones are doing um, and the goods that uh, are the, the, the good things that uh, innovation in uh, drones and UAVs are, are accomplishing throughout the world. Um, so, um, this comes from Reuters. Um, this unfortunately does not have a happy ending, but, um, they are using, they did use drones, um, in the Himalayas after a flooded tunnel resulted in, um, 35 construction workers going missing. So they did send a drone with, uh, I think about five cameras on it down a tunnel looking for, uh, those missing uh, construction workers, unfortunately, didn't find anything. No bodies, either alive or dead. So uh, we'll hold out hope that those folks are okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, good that we're using drones for search and rescues. Unfortunate that it uh, was not a happy ending to that story, at least yet. Um, all right, let's see. I also do have, uh, on the subject of Mr. Moss and Mr. Sugahara, um, I will drop this in here. Um, they did uh, an um, interview with uh, Daniel Gag, is it Gagney? Um, hopefully I pronounced that right, over at uh, Commercial UAV News regarding uh, broadca broadcast ID and its capabilities. Um, and I think they touch base into a little bit of, uh, the reason, uh, the difference between network and broadcast and, and why network is not, uh, actually, uh, necessary for, um, drones, uh, including, uh, you know, uh, consolidation within a, um, 
uh, USS. And why is it not situation. necessary? Uh, I haven't specifically <laughs> had time to watch the video yet, so well, a lot of a lot of what the the point this is getting a lot of uh, uh, airtime, if you'll forgive the pun, in the uh, beta tasking group. They, of, of course, uh, as very explicit in the final rule for, for remote ID, uh, the FAA has been very clear that remote ID it will not be used for detect and avoid technologies. And there's some good reasons for that, one of which is that uh, you require protected spectrum or a, a dedicated radio frequency and, uh, that's licensed and protected in, uh, in English terms. And because of that, uh, something, the final rule transmits, or the RID transmits on uh, frequencies that are similar to Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, which are not protected spectrum for UAS. So that, uh, as well as the, the view that uh, remote ID is for identification, not for DAA, uh, that, uh, uh, that's why there's a, uh, when we get into discussions about uh, the unmanned traffic management, uh, RID is not a uh, detect and avoid uh, technology. And broadcast RID is necessary. I can hear the, <laughs> the dripping sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, the, it is, uh, it's better than networking. I appreciate the, uh, uh, <laughs> the prompting uh, text chat. Let's see. All right, just checking the uh, YouTube, see if there's any comments over there real quick. Yeah, hopefully that stream's working. There's nobody chatting for us over there, but it says there's five it people watching. Like it's, it's working on my screen, so um, I think we're okay there. Um, all right. Um, so this is, and I'm going to preface this before I even drop the link. This is not to shame anybody, okay, because anytime there's an issue regarding drones, and the law, um, it's uh, it's just not a good thing all around. But at the same time, this is not to shame anybody, but more of a point that I kind of want to make. Um, so this comes uh, from uh, the Cron. I don't even know what that is, but it's out of Tampa, Florida. Obviously, um, several people... Uh, uh, we're flying drones uh, at the Super Bowl, uh, which the FAA did put out uh, TFRs at least two weeks in advance of that. But the point I'm trying to make is not that anybody, you know, people, you know, shouldn't be doing this because number one, it makes the entire industry look like we don't follow the rules. But second, what kind of education are people getting when they purchase a drone? Um, what kind of information are they getting, you know, when they just grab something off Amazon or um, something that doesn't have, like DJI has, uh, you know, certain modes that it restricts where you're flying based on, you know, the connection and whatnot. And people, you know, circumvent that. And I understand in some situations why you would, but at the same time, the education, I don't think is, it is still, it's still missing. Um, and because of that, uh, people get into trouble. And so, you know, which is one of the reasons that we exist, obviously, um, we can't, 
uh, get to everybody, but the more people that know about us, you know, the more reach we'll have. And, and that's always a, uh, a kind of a, a balancing act, but, you know, and same goes for, you know, the AMA, um, and for other organizations and the people who manufacture and sell the drones. Um, so, um, I, I, I question whether, you know, the individuals in, that got in trouble at, um, the Super Bowl even knew if what they were doing was wrong. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, uh, but at the same time, I, I do question, you know, some of that stuff. Yeah. And Alex makes a good point. The education is there and Alex, you're a, a member of the FAA safety team now. Yep. And, uh, I'm I'm looking to join that uh, as well. And uh, are you a drone pro now, or looking to be a drone pro? No, I am a drone pro. So I am. So when I got approved to be on the safety team, I was also approved to be a drone pro. Excellent. Can you explain, you explain a little explain bit? What a drone pro is? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Sure. So uh, I guess I'm not in the shirt for that, but uh, a drone <laughs> pro is basically someone who, I guess that. <laughs> FA safety team or your local FISDO thinks is qualified enough to basically either help others or communicate with others in the community around you about different things about drone rules or even helping someone out. It's sort of a gateway between the FA and the people. And a FISDO is? Oh, Flight Standards District Office. I yeah. Um. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that uh, we've done repeatedly with the DAC is that one of the channels of education is the FAA safety team. And so, uh, to uh, Josh's point, how do you, how do we get the word out? How do we uh, communicate with people? And the good news with the FAA safety team is the education goes out to uh, prior private pilots, so uh, full scale, um, as well as uh, commercial, as well as uh, recreational. So they are, they have, uh, as of, let's see, last when I presented this, that was back in February, there were 57,000 out of 199,000 commercial Part 107 uh, certificate holders or taking advantage of this type of education. So folks who, who are even you know, making money from drones have a limited, uh, are, are, you know, there could be three times as many taking advantage of education that's there for the offing. So we're, uh, we're working to, uh, um, uh, to, to make sure that the, this uh, organization gets more uh, and more and more UAS uh, material through it. And uh, those of us that can are looking to uh, uh, to join and uh, uh, offer our time and, and help. But I, I think I, Josh is a, Josh is on a key point because my nervousness is that we'll hear about the careless, clueless, and criminal, and I I hate when I hear that because that's how they got the 2018 Reauthorization Act approved by uh, touting that phrase and uh, uh, also putting forward the NPRM. So, you know, we want to have uh, voluntary education and have folks uh, uh, pay attention, uh, particularly at big, big events where the FAA goes way out of their way to communicate and establish uh, TFRs uh, early on. 
So, so TextCheck pointed out, and I missed this in the article, um, the individual here was a FAA licensed drone pilot and was aware of the TFR. So, bro, I tried to, I tried to excuse it for you, but I got nothing now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, and as we know, the FAA used Super Bowl 53 and 54 as test cases. So they bring to bear a multitude of federal agencies, state agencies, and there are loads of counter uh, drone uh, technologies that they're testing. So it's like, if ever there is a place you want to avoid, a Super Bowl is a good one to just don't bother. Mm -hmm. For well, sure. And we've got a question a in YouTube now too. Oh, perfect. Let me go grab that. Go ahead, Alex, while I'm reading the question. Uh, I was going to say one more thing about the drone pro stuff, at least. Uh, the website is the fasafety.gov. The website is outdated to today's standards, but they are working on modernizing it, hopefully similar to the Drone Zone website. But I don't know when that's going to happen because it is on government time. Uh, but that will be updated as well as that's also the place where that website is the same place that 107 pilots will be able to take the recurrency for allowing night ops and the ops over people and that kind of stuff. wonder if they're going to add their little uh, animated drone character to the website. <laughs> I forget oh, what that guy, drone? Buzzy. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, what, what Alex just mentioned was, uh, for those of you who have your part 107, hopefully this is uh, positive, if you need to take your recurrent uh, test uh, after March 1st, I first. think, or March 1st of 2021, good news, you can, do, you can do it online and you can do it for free. So that's a nice thing. So it's now a recurring exam and uh, you don't have to go in person and it's not a, a big uh, chunk of change. So uh, getting to uh, the question on YouTube, uh, has there been any updates on repairing your own drones yet? Uh, Dustin, can you clarify that for me in terms of remote ID or in terms of what? Yeah, I assume that has something to do with the remote ID regulations and what you're allowed yeah, to I mean, do. From that standpoint, um, yes, you can repair drones uh there's no reason you can't um the question will be uh going forward uh once remote id is fully active um which would be september 2023 am i right on that dan um yeah yes uh, or, uh, august yeah anyway 2023 yeah it's yep. gonna be late 2023 um when that is active, um, the question will be around the design and production as opposed to um, actual uh, re repairing. So there was never, I don't think there was ever any issue with repairing drones or right to repair or anything like that with remote ID. Yeah, with the NPRM, it was a little uh, questionable as to mm -hmm. uh, what yeah, was, was required, repair logs, things of that nature. And then unless or until you get into category four of the uh, flight over people where you have to uh, log and uh, have a, a certified repair people, you know, that's effectively they're treating those heavier uh, drones like um, uh, manned aircraft 
Mm -hmm. Other than that, you know, a lot of changes in uh, the remote ID rule that, yeah, we're good to uh, to work on our drones uh, to our heart's content. We can keep breaking them and uh, repairing them. So uh, Red Jay asks, will you be allowed to repair and work on the tr transponder uh, or ah. the remote <laughs> ID broadcast module? So, uh, no. Um, now, depending on how they're manufactured, they're they're technically supposed to be tamper resistant. So beacon. you, beacon. yeah. So Not you could, yeah. So you could kind of take that to um, mean a couple of different things. So you know, obviously, I've had some design ideas of what those would look like um, in terms of a, a remote ID broadcast module, um, and. Um, you know, if there's like maybe a wire breaks or something like that, soldering it back on, I think that would probably be okay. But again, you know, it depends on the yeah. type of um, I'd be surprised that they if, approve. Yeah, I was going to say I'd be surprised if a remote ID module that has wires that you have physical access to would even get right. approved. Well, and see, that's yeah. the thing is like, um, you know, one of my ideas would be the broadcast module and then a separate kind of pigtail with the GPS on it. So the, the module could sit inside the frame, whereas the GPS would need sky access. So, you know, if something like that breaks, um, then, you know, maybe that, but I think tamper resistant is, is generally meant in the remote ID language as software. Uh, or the firmware that's on it, they don't want you to be able to spoof it or change the information that it's broadcasting or, you know, lower the power of the module or anything like that. So, you mean like by putting tinfoil around it? Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> so, so this is this is a good, so what we're uh, moving into is that the means of compliance and the declaration of compliance mm -hmm. on the broadcast module and the uh, UAS uh, standard uh, remote ID uh, UAS. And this is one of the reasons why I was so interested in getting involved with the um, ASTM F38 uh, work because they are working on a standard. And if you go into the uh, RID final rule, you'll see multiple references to uh, standards of uh, 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 consensus-based standards that will be approved. So. What will happen is the means of compliance will be uh, put out by the ASTM. And if you build to that standard, uh, then you can get a declaration of compliance. Now, given all of the um, uh, aspects that are going to, that the, all the requirements that are in the uh, RID final rule, I'm betting that this is going to be a closed uh, system from a perspective of uh, being able to uh, update it, change it, alter it, etc. But if you had to set up your ID beacon with your reg number, then you could spoof on you. Know, well, yes. So technically, yeah, I mean, technically, uh, there's it's not a registration number; it's a serial number. So you know, yeah, if you had your buddy's serial number, but it's going to be similar to uh you you align the serial with your registration number yeah so exactly right. and you have to input that into uh the faa's website um when you register or after the fact it has to be um keyed in there um so you know yeah you could probably get your buddies but then you're just going to get your buddy uh in in trouble and he's not going to be your buddy anymore 
Uh, our object, our objective in helping out on the ASTM F38 committee is, let's see if we can get the the standard to a place where it is usable by a manufacturer. And right now, the ASTM standard is written like a requirements document. It's not yet at a spec level. And so, if for those of you who have manufacturing, um. Why does the standard documentation cost so much? Shouldn't the standard be free? Um, so if the um, if we're able to get the ASTM work, both on the manufacturing standard as well as the RID standard to be something that's really useful to a, a manufacturer, then we feel we've really done our job because that means that you've got a, a level playing field on building a broadcast module or a, a standard uh, UAS or a standard RID UAS. Um, let's see. Go drone. Uh, is Redcat the only USA approved remote ID manufacturer? Uh, as far as I know, Redcat is not a approved RID manufacturer. I don't, uh, think, I don't think anyone is because we don't. We still no. don't have a, an MOC or a you know, DOC standards. Or I mean, this is they're still. The, the, the race is now on to yes. get that information uh, ready so that manufacturers can make the dates that are in the uh, uh, the RID final rule. Yeah. Um, I do know that um, this was out a little while ago. I do believe Kinji Sugihara does have a patent for some uh, kind of remote ID system. Um, but... Uh, even that I think is still in the beginnings, you know, he does have a patent, but I think if anybody's utilizing that, it would just, you know, licensing and, and whatnot for that regard, but yeah, it's uh, a protection, it's a protection of intellectual property. He, right. He has no, he has no hardware, no software behind it. Yeah. So I think everybody's going to be kind of running for the door uh, to figure this out. And again, the FAA has kind of supplied the, you know, the requirements, it's up to everybody to come up with a, a method. So um, I would imagine that we're going to see some ideas start to roll out in the next, I don't know, six to 12 months, um, uh, especially for standard remote ID, because uh, uh, that's going to be a requirement of anybody uh, manufacturing ready to fly um, uh, drones. Uh, with with the exception of uh, let me clarify that that's not going to technically affect the ready to fly that you would get from uh, like manufacturers like GetFPV where they're building the quad um, as long as they uh, leave out a significant part of the quad recommended part would be the radio receiver for you know any of those manufacturers out there listening um, but uh, that will satisfy the home-built requirement by having to place in uh, something like a flight controller, a receiver, uh, um, something that's necessary. Um, a VTX technically isn't necessary to fly one of those, so that would not be a major missing part. Um, just FYI, just throwing that that you know, quick little hints and tips out to all those guys: Pyro, get FPV, RDQ. If you're all listening. <laughs> <laughs> um let's see i got some more questions these are great questions thank you dj already has a working remote id system uh to a certain degree yes um i believe they do 
Um, I don't know if it meets the entire requirements, but again, I don't own anything DJI, so. Yeah, like the, the anybody using a DJI system can be picked up by DJI's Aeroscope, which you could argue is a remote ID system, but it doesn't comply with the FAA's new requirements for remote ID, of course. <laughs> yeah, we're also con we're confusing things uh, on uh, with XJet's uh, question and uh, GoDrone is uh, shouldn't standards be free? Yeah, standards are free. The rule is we get the rule free, so we we you know we now have a final rule with RID and it'll specify an M an MOC and the DOC, a means of compliance and a declaration of compliance. So those documents we'll have for free. So done. Now, the ASTM document is. Uh, a an organization that builds a, a document and people like me uh, pay to join the uh, organization and it's a standards organization that is a, a privately held organization that is international. So, you know, as an engineer, standards are a good thing and they help keep uh, costs down for designers as well as manufacturers and it costs money. We've got a we, we have our weekly calls with over 50 people uh, on these calls and they're dedicating time from the companies that they're representing. So this is, you know, the notion of it's, this is not the, you know, the federal government of any individual country. This is an international organization that is, you know, it is not a, a nonprofit. <clears throat> All right, let's see. Um, when is the module supposed to be available? This comes from TextJet. I did see that Alex responded whenever someone develops one. Yes, absolutely. Um, so there's a couple of steps, as Dave was mentioning earlier, the means of compliance and the declaration of compliance or uh, DOC and MOC. Um, basically, you have to develop one. You have to, uh, as you develop it, you have to submit a declaration of compliance, which means you jump through the 50 hoops um, of building it, uh, testing it, getting a third party to test it, uh, getting it to comply with all the standards that the FAA has set forward. And then you um, send in a declaration of compliance, uh, essentially stating that you've done all those things. And then at that point, the FAA will review and accept or reject. Um, at that point, then uh, those companies will need to manufacture those things, price them out, and get them to the consumers, which would be us. So um, again, we have about uh, a 30-month window uh, for that to start happening. Um, and uh, hopefully, we'll start to see some of that roll out soon. Um, I can imagine that there are some companies who are already jumping on that and um, would. Uh, we'll be rolling some of that stuff out um, in the next couple we, of years. Yeah, we do know of a, a couple of modules, but they're, they were uh, in development prior to the spec for uh, mm -hmm. military military work. So you know, we, the folks didn't know. And, and truly, the, uh, uh, the rule is not a specification. So it's pretty... Vague uh, and open. Yeah, general, vague. <laughs> Probability of a delay. Yeah, hip chat. Uh, that's a that's a really good question. What's the probability of a delay? Uh, do we think that uh, we'll hit the target date? It's certainly possible. It's not uh, the technology is not sophisticated. Uh, the testing 
and uh, uh, a good spec from the ASTM will drop the cost of the developer and manufacturer a lot. Uh, and uh, the an ASTM standard will also uh, go a long way for uh, compatibility module to module. So while that will lower differential advantage from manufacturer to manufacturer, uh, it will make it uh, a lot better for us as consumers because there will be interoperability. So yep. yeah, um, I think we could make it. I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm really and, curious I mean, to see how they decide to bend physics to make things like the module not interfere with any 2.4 or 5.8 gigahertz yeah. frequencies, right. signals, get GPS accurate data, all that stuff on yeah. a small yeah. four-inch drone. Yeah, and yeah, the the G, the um, the GPS altitude is a sticking point. That's one that may have to bend. Uh, is there a schedule on the ASTM spec? It's um, uh, been uh, published. And so the uh, remote ID spec is out. It's being updated to comply with uh, the final RID. Should be out a couple months in that magnitude. Yeah, and and I yeah I agree with uh, with Dan and uh, and and Q John. Yeah, yeah QA absolutely as well as mm -hmm. uh, design and yeah we're we're trying you know the. Uh, uh, the ASTM is trying to, uh, to help and to try to uh, discern what the FAA had in mind, uh, work work their way to create an acceptable uh, MOC from the FAA. So then, aha, you know, then now we've got a recipe that's uh, accepted by the FAA. That's why the ASTM work is so important. So it will speed and make a consistent uh, solution for the uh, for the modules as well as the standard RID UAS. The other thing that I think we haven't talked a lot about, and Dan kind of, you know, uh, you know, hit it on the head was the the frequencies. And do you think that they're going to have to set aside a small part of the spectrum in that area so that we're not interfering with control signals? Or what do you what are your thoughts on that, Dave? Well, my, my, I, I do think there's going to be protected spectrum for uh, UAS, uh, but that'll be for detect and avoid. I don't mm -hmm. think they're going to uh, set aside protected spectrum. I think they'll uh, they'll just make sure that it, uh, it's off on the side. If we think about what we have right now with the beacon, uh, the beacon is you know is issuing a uh, a low radius um, you know transmission. So that's all that's required. That's all all we have to put out. So. I do think that uh, we will be able to uh, make it work, uh, and you know, I, I absolutely respect what Dan and uh, and GoDrone were saying. Uh, there are there absolutely are issues uh, that are physics as well as uh, cost, mm -hmm. and, and the, the GPS accuracy has uh, has a, a, a big concern for a bunch of us. And as yeah. the remote ID standard says, it has to be something that can be picked up by your mobile devices. So that means today it has to be 2.4 or 5.8 gigahertz Wi-Fi slash Bluetooth frequency ranges that your cell phone already has a radio for. Mm -hmm. right. And TextChat is asking, will it be a Part 15 device? And so that question means, will the uh, RID devices likely go through an FCC Part 15 uh, certification process so that they won't require licensing? That's my bet. Yes. Mm -hmm. They aren't talking RTK kind of level accuracy. 
They're talking, I think altitude is the loosest accuracy, and I think that's within, accurate within 150 feet. Um, every, all the other uh, latitude, longitude um, is all within 100 feet, I do believe. Yeah, I remember something very similar to that. Something roughly like 100 feet of accuracy. Yeah, but I do know the altitude, because it was not barometer-based, it would be geo geolocation. Um, it did uh, specify it to be within 150, I think, um, feet accuracy. So, so what if you're at 390 feet and your GPS is off? What if you're at 420 feet <laughs> and your GPS is off and says you're only at 300 feet? <laughs> so, you know, here's the funny thing, and this is just me as a freestyle pilot, okay? Um, you know, and I would assume, Alex, you could probably chip in on this from a racing perspective, but uh, I think it's more frequent during freestyle is my quads upside down 40% uh, of the time. <laughs> so do I need to have two GPS receivers on it? <laughs> so You need your uh, GPS on a gimbal so it always paces up. Sorry. Hey, there you go. There you go. <laughs> we'll just we'll, we'll start developing spaceships now, right? All right. So, um. Uh, let's see. The other thing is, is that your altitude, especially with the type of drones that we fly, guys, is going to be <laughs> changing significantly over the... You're supposed to broadcast the message every second. Can you imagine how much... It's, it's like you're at 400, then you're at, you know, 100, and then you're at 350, and then you're at 2, and and then you're, you know, the next six messages are you, uh, you know... Cartwheeling across the ground. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can just imagine if we were on network what that would look like to a poor USS. This drone's just going crazy. Yeah, for real. So, uh great conversation, guys. Um yeah, let's see. Let me jump over to YouTube. Anything over here? Nope, nothing over here. Um so guys, if you see my head swinging, I have about 30 probably 40 inches of no, sorry. Let's probably 60 inches of monitor here. So um, of all the things that are going on, Discord and news articles and videos and YouTube and all that kind of stuff. You can never so, have enough screen okay. real estate. That's right. Okay, go drone. What's the velocity of uh, radio frequency? Yes. Just, he says, just make sure the quads go faster than the signal. <laughs> if you can awesome. do that, somebody will pay you lots of money. <laughs> Sign me up. All right. Um, I will finish. I do have a couple more articles, and I will thank Dave uh, for sending me articles this evening. Um, I do appreciate that. Uh, most of these articles did come from him. Actually, I got two more, and then I will let you all go. Um, this one uh, touches on uh, how wireless charging could unlock commercial drone potential. This is kind of a no-brainer. I, I don't know that we need an article on this, but I think this is what we all thought commercial recharging would look like would be wireless. Um, the only issue I see is just, you know, in the case of this particular drone that's sitting on this particular wireless charging pad is the, how are they getting that signal? How are they getting that power into the battery? So I don't know if they've got coils within the feet there, or if it's just so powerful that it's, you know, got the uh, charging coil, you know, it can reach the charging coil up into the quad. 
I imagine. But um, I'm not going to go too deep into this one. I'll just leave it uh, there because I do want to touch base on this other one. Uh, and this comes from Drone DJ. Um, and uh, FPV drones capture Red Bull's natural selection snowboarding event. Um, this is super cool. Uh, I, we all know Red Bull's been doing this kind of stuff for a while. Um, yes, it is an X8. Um, and I do believe Gab707 and Jet um, were the ones doing the flying. Um, I definitely saw Jet posting stuff on Instagram about being there. Yep. So uh, it's great to see uh, some of our uh, talented pilots from the industry uh, working uh, across the cross cross uh, purposes with uh, um, Red Bull and their competitions. It's a great way to capture the uh, extreme sports uh, footage, um, especially uh, you know snowboarding, downhill, all this freestyle stuff. Um, I can imagine we're going to see much, much, much more of this stuff in the future. Um, so I'm definitely know, jealous. Not... Yeah, absolutely. Jackson holds you guys, wonderful. You guys see Mark Rover's latest video where Nerf got featured? No, I didn't. I did see no, yeah, it, he... but I haven't had time to watch it. Yeah. Nerf got featured in Mark Rover's latest video, so that was pretty neat. Took, like, maybe... 10 seconds talking about drum racing. Right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Drop the link in the chat. Um, if you can real quick, Alex, uh, Mark Rover, he's the NASA engineer, correct? I do believe. Yes. Ex NASA engineer. He yeah. left, but yeah. Um, he's a, if you haven't watched his videos on YouTube, he has some pretty crazy videos. Um, all, all about physics and and engineering and stuff like that. He's a he's definitely an inspiration if you're interested in that kind of stuff. So, um, these specific uh, drones were built um, for this uh, race, um, as uh, XJet did post. They are X8, um, which means they have eight motors, uh, and I. Do believe they're an over? Yep, they are. They're over under configuration. So four arms, eight motors, um, and uh, yeah, some great footage that came out of that. So um, very very cool that we're custom building uh, uh, quads uh, for special purposes, and uh, they look like they've got some serious video equipment on top of them as well. So uh, really neat, but. With that, unless there's any other questions, comments, or anything else, I will give you guys back your evening. And, um, uh, and I'll, I'll just add that um, I, I welcome the questions on the mm -hmm. uh, production and specs and standards. And yep. uh, uh, either you know contact me directly, or uh, if the if you have additional questions here. Uh, this is an area well, where I think we, as uh, FPVFC, can really help, and uh, that's why we're that's why we're digging in and uh, helping uh, with AS with the ASDM, and uh, as well as on the DAC. We should probably point DAC out work, that DAC work continues. That there is a DAC meeting coming up in a couple of weeks, oh, the end of February, 20, right? Twenty. Yeah. Good thought. Uh, Twenty-four February. 
And yeah, they have said they'll be live streaming that all over the place, like Facebook, YouTube, whatever. Yep. Wednesday the 24th, and it's showing my whole time is 8.30. Yeah, I was a little confused PM. because their post on Facebook said from, like, noon to 4 or something, and then their, their actual real announcement says from, like, 9 to 4. So I don't know if they're just not yeah. streaming the whole yeah. thing or if they're just... <laughs> They have that much prep time. Their standard operating procedure is to uh, ask people to put a hold on the full day, and then then they'll narrow it down as they uh, get the agenda uh, uh, nailed, uh, figured gotcha. out. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, definitely uh, tune into that. Um, there'll be some good conversation around that, and um, and then we'll see what we get. Um, and then beyond that. Uh, let us know what you think of the YouTube live stream um, and if there's uh, something we can do to improve or anything like that. It's something new for us, um, but we definitely wanted to get uh, some faces behind the voices and uh, let you guys see who we are and that we're not just, you know, robots sitting in caves somewhere. So, And not um, everybody loves to climb into Discord and join us. So YouTube's another, kind of another option. Cage. <laughs> walls everywhere. Well, and you know, dorms were rocking, designed by prison designers, prison yeah, you're architects. Rocking, so. You're rocking the shirt, though. We love it, Alex. <laughs> they 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 like to cram cram y'all in there. Um, believe me, I know. I lived in the dorm <laughs> for two years. Don't miss it. Um, all right. With that, uh, have a great uh, week and a great weekend. We will see you all in two weeks. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great night. Have a good evening.